Wow, that, what an introduction. I, thank you, uh, Dr. Godwin. I, I think I might have been the only guy sitting there going, more, more, more. Um, I, um, I'm just delighted to be here. I, um, I see I have a great podium. I guess I didn't have to wear pants. Um, but, um, but since I did... Well, we are, we are told in scripture to go out and, um, and contend, contend for our faith. And I think what that means is that we're living in a time when our Christianity is, is controversial. We're living in a secular culture. Uh, America is no longer a country where Christian assumptions can be, can be taken for granted. Now, we are also living in a time when atheism has become something of a serious option in our society. We have out there something called the New Atheism, uh, books with titles like God is not great, or the end of faith, or the God delusion. And uh, what the new atheists are doing is very different from the atheists of the past. 20 or 30 years ago, when you thought of atheism, you would think of some kind of a rumpled ACLU lawyer. And the goal of uh, these activists a generation ago was to take down the Christmas nativity scene, or to, to remove the Ten Commandments monument from a state capital. But today's atheists want to do more than that. They want to discredit and demolish Christianity. They want to eradicate its influence from our society. They want to make you feel like an idiot for believing in God and for practicing your faith. Now, I was reading recently a book by one of the new atheists, and he was making the point that he was discussing the war on terror. And he said the war on terror is a, a war of competing fundamentalisms. On this side, he said, you have Islamic fundamentalism. On this side, you have Christian fundamentalism. He said, what do these two groups have in common? They are both fueling their fanaticism at the same holy gas station. In other words, belief in God is the problem. Why? Because belief in God is irrational. People believe not because of science or evidence or reason. People believe because of faith. And faith makes people do crazy things. The atheist writer went on to describe 9-11 as, quote, a faith-based initiative. And he said, if you look around the world, you see that the main source of division and conflict and war is what? Religion. Why are the Israelis fighting the Palestinians? They're fighting over religion. Why are the Shia fighting the Sunni in Iraq? Religion. What about the Hindus and the Muslims? Religion. What about in Northern Ireland? 
the Catholics and the Protestants. They're fighting over religion. And if you look at history, this writer went on to say, it seems evident that most of the terrible crimes of history are also the fault of religion. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the religious wars, the witch trials, and so on and so on. Bottom line, religion is the problem. The world would be better if we didn't have it. It would be a more rational, a more scientific, a more peaceful, a more decent society. So this is the voice of the new atheism. Why am I telling you this? Because I think as Christians, we face an interesting challenge. In some ways, we're not fully equipped to answer the new atheism. Why? Because in general, when we are often confronted with a question or a challenge, we tend to turn to scripture. Why do you believe what you do? Well, the book of Leviticus says this, or the gospel of Luke says that. Now, that's okay if you're talking to a fellow Christian. But what if you're talking to a secular guy or to an atheist? He's going to say, who cares what the Bible says? I don't accept the authority of Scripture to decide the question. And then sometimes as a Christian, you're, you're kind of tongue-tied because that was your argument. You have nothing more to say. A second problem, if you will, is that many of us learn our Christianity when we are very young. This was my case. I grew up in Bombay, India, uh, but I came from a Christian family. I'm part of a small Christian minority in India. I learned my Christianity at my parents' knee when I was five or six or eight years old. But it was a very simplified Christianity. Uh, I call it crayon Christianity. And in some ways, when I came to the United States as an exchange student at the age of 16, then found myself on the Dartmouth College campus, my faith, my beliefs came under sudden and withering attack. People would say things like, what? You believe that someone was actually born of a virgin and walked on the ocean and brought dead people back to life? Are you nuts? We're living in the 20th century, now the 21st century. Don't you believe that the world operates according to scientific laws? You think these laws can be suspended at discretion? So I realized that I couldn't at my, given my background, my training, I couldn't answer these attacks. And I began to pull away from my Christian beliefs. Not that I didn't want to believe, but my mind was getting in the way. And this is the strategy of the new atheism, which has very much targeted young people. The new atheists say, we will let the Christians program religion into the young, and we will use our influential positions in graduate schools and the media to deprogram it out of them. So what I'd like to do, if I may, this morning is give you a little preview of how to answer the new atheism. I'm only going to tackle it in a very abbreviated form in my book on Christianity, I discuss this in more detail, but I'm going to give you a little way of, of tackling a couple of the strongest arguments of the new atheism. Now, I've been actually traveling around the country debating some of the leading atheists, like Christopher Hitchens, who wrote the book, 
God is not great. And in a debate, you often try to focus on the weak point of your adversary. But that's not what I'm going to do here. I'm going to focus on the strong points of the new atheism. And why? Because if you can answer atheism at its strong point, then you've got a really sturdy foundation for your, for your Christian beliefs. Now, a few months ago in New York City, when I was debating uh, the atheist Christopher Hitchens, he began by saying, you Christians really irritate me. He says, you go around with your stupid bumper stickers, what would Jesus do, and so on. You think you're so great because you follow the Bible and the teachings of Christ. You think it makes you more honest, more kind, more generous. He said, that's nonsense. He said, an atheist can do all the good things that a Christian can do. Name one virtue that a Christian has that an atheist can't have. He said, if there's a famine in Rwanda tomorrow, you can volunteer your time or send a check to Doctors Without Borders or do something good. He says, I can do it too. So we don't need God to be good. You don't need Christianity to have virtue. Now, on the face of it, that is true. We Christians don't claim we have a monopoly on virtue. I don't think we would say that atheists are incapable of it. At the same time, I want to ask you to do a little bit of a thought experiment. If you look at the virtues or the values that even secular people live by, or if you read the books of the new atheists and you make a list of the seven or eight things that they care about the most, what are those things? The, the dignity of the individual, the idea of science as an autonomous enterprise, the equality of women, the abolition of slavery, uh, compassion as a social value or virtue. What's interesting to me is that all these values came into the world because of Christianity. How do we know this? We look to other cultures and we find that these values are not there or they are greatly downplayed. You look to ancient Greece and Rome before Christianity and you see that these values were absent. For example, consider the idea that every human life has worth. Every human life is precious. The ancient Greeks didn't believe that. In fact, in ancient Sparta, it was quite common if a child was born sick to leave it on the hillside in the winter and find it dead in the morning. That's not even the scandalous thing. The scandalous thing is that the great thinkers of ancient Greece and Rome, Sophocles, Aeschylus, Plato, Aristotle, they knew about this. But it didn't bother them. They viewed it with complete equanimity. Why? Because the idea that every human life is sacred or precious was simply not an important value in that civilization. Or consider the abolition of slavery. Uh, the atheist Sam Harris says, those Christians bear a heavy responsibility for slavery. But what he doesn't note is that slavery was a universal practice. The ancient Chinese had it. There was slavery in India, in Greece and Rome, slavery all over Africa. American Indians had slaves long before Columbus got here. So what is uniquely Western is not slavery, but the movement to abolish slavery, a movement that developed in Western civilization only because of Christianity. It was the Christian idea that we are created equal in the eyes of God 
that inspired groups of people, the Quakers, the evangelical Christians, to say, because we are created equal in the eyes of God, no man has the right to rule another man without his consent. Uh, and this idea becomes the basis not only of anti-slavery, it also becomes the basis of democracy. Because if you think of modern democracy, representative democracy, what is its premise? No man has the right to rule another without consent. In some ways, even science is based on Christian premises. I, I want to say a word about science because the new atheists march behind the banner of science. The new atheists basically say that science is based on reason, whereas religion and Christianity is based on faith. So they, they create a war. They posit a kind of conflict between science on the one hand and religion on the other. And in fact, what the new atheists say is that for centuries, science has been advancing and Christianity has been retreating. The medieval Christians believed that the earth was flat. And then the brilliant scientists showed up and revealed with their telescopes and instruments that no, the earth is round, embarrassing a thousand years of Christian theorizing. And then along came Copernicus and later Newton, who showed that it was the earth that goes around the sun, not the other way around, as the Christians foolishly thought. And then Darwin, the patron saint of modern atheism, shows that you can have design or the appearance of design without a designer. So this is the idea that the atheists convey, that, that, that Christianity is basically assigning God the responsibility of explaining things that we are ignorant about. So in ancient times, if you didn't know why there was a hurricane, people said, oh, the hurricane God did that. You don't know why there's lightning, the lightning God did that. But now we know that lightning is an electrical discharge. So as science comes forward, religion retreats. Now, I want to examine this for just a minute because I think that this idea of a conflict between science and religion is a little bit bogus. How do we know that? Well, if we made a list of the great scientists of the past 200 years or 300 years, a list that would surely include Copernicus, uh, Kepler, Rutherford, Newton, Boyle, Maxwell, the list goes on. And you look at this list and you realize, wait a minute, the vast majority of great scientists are Christians. They don't see any great conflict between science and religion. In fact, many of them, from Copernicus to Newton, they see science as a way of discovering the handiwork of God in creation. But I want to go further than that and look a little bit at this idea that science is coming forward and religion is backing off. Consider the idea of the flat earth. This notion that the Christians for centuries thought the earth was flat until the scientists prove otherwise. In reality, educated Christians, not only in, in the medieval time, but going all the way back to Christ, knew perfectly well that the earth is round. In fact, the ancient Greeks, 500 years before Christ, knew that the earth is round. Why? Because you don't need Galileo's telescopes to figure it out. All you have to do is look at an eclipse. Here's the sun, here's the earth, here's the moon. You can see the shadow of the earth, 
on the moon. Hey guys, it's round. Aristotle knew that the earth was round. Now, if you look at modern science, and you look at this idea that science is based on reason, but Christianity is based on faith, I want to suggest to you that science too is based on faith. Science is based on three faith-based propositions that can in no way be substantiated by evidence. First, modern science is based on the idea that the universe is rational. Think about this for a moment. You and I can be rational. Why? We have brains. The universe does not, as far as we know, possess a brain. And yet, it is believed to be rational. Modern science is based on the premise that it is. Second, the universe obeys laws. Reflect on that for a second. You or I can obey a law. We're driving down a street, we see a stop sign, we stop. But that's because we are intentional, purposeful agents. The universe is made up of inanimate matter. And yet this matter follows mysterious mathematical rules. Kepler's laws of planetary rotation, Newton's inverse square law, Einstein's E equals MC square. You only have to go to other cultures to see that this is perceived as crazy. The Muslim thinker Al-Ghazali, he says, how can inanimate objects follow rules? Can a stone obey a law? How does the electron know what to do? He says, the universe exists in the mind of Allah. Everything happens because God wills it at every second. There are no laws. It's only in Western culture, in Christendom, that we have this idea of the lawful universe. Third, not only is the universe rational and lawful, but the rationality of the world out there is mirrored in the rationality of our own minds. Now think about this. This is actually a great mystery. Why? Your brain is made up of atoms and molecules and neurons and circuits. So why should all the whirring that's going on in here match the rationality of the world out there? Why should there be a one-to-one -one correspondence between the two? What is the reason? There is no reason. Now, if you're a Christian, all of this makes sense. Why? Because you say, you know what? I believe God is omniscient, which is to say super rational. So yeah, he made a rational universe. I believe God is a lawgiver. He gave us the Ten Commandments, the moral law. So it's not too surprising he gave us the physical laws of nature. And I believe I'm created in the image of God. I have in me a hint of that divine nature. And so it's not surprising that the rationality that's in me is, matches the rationality of the world out there. But my point is, if you are an atheist, you can't make any of these assumptions. You have to take them 100% on faith. Now, if you listen to the atheists, you get this idea that science is advancing and Christianity is retreating. But in the last hundred years, there have been spectacular developments in modern science that have supported the idea of a creator. And not only the idea of a creator, the very specifically Christian idea of a creator.
Let me give you an example of what I mean. In recent decades, some of the greatest scientists of our time have asked this question. Our universe operates according to a set of very particular numerical values. If you look, for example, at the hydrogen atom, the mass of the proton is 1,836 times the mass of the electron. Not more, not less. The gravitational force is so strong. The electromagnetic force is so strong. Then you have the strong nuclear force, the so-called electroweak force. So one scientist says it's like this. It's like you have God's, God sitting at a desk, and he's got in front of him 100 different dials. And each dial is set to a very precise number. And here's the question. If the scientists sneak into the room, and when God is not looking, what if they were to fool with the dials a little bit? Just change them. Not a lot, you don't want a big explosion, but just a little bit, what would happen? And the scientists who look at this question said, and you can read this, by the way, Stephen Hawking discusses this question in his book, A Brief History of Time. He says, if you touch one of the dials, this is the rate of expansion of the universe, and you move it, not 10%, not 1%, but one part in a hundred thousand millionth million you would have no universe, you would have no life. In other words, the entire universe has to be just as big as it is and just as old as it is and have exactly the numerical values it does because if it didn't, we wouldn't be here. The universe is a giant conspiracy, you might say, to produce, well, us. And this argument, the so-called fine-tuned universe, has put modern atheism completely on the defensive. Why? It's very difficult to explain how the universe got to be this way if it wasn't designed this way by some kind of an intelligent designer. Now note that this argument is at the level of the entire universe. It is an argument immune to Darwinian attack. I've said a little word about science. I now need to shift gears a little bit. My, my time is limited, and so I have to adopt the motto that King Henry VIII used with one of his wives. He said, I won't keep you very long. And so I'm going to shift a little bit and talk not so much about science anymore. I want to talk, talk about morality. And I want to I address head-on the argument that religion, and specifically Christianity, are the source of conflict and war and violence. It seems to me that this is ultimately a, an erroneous or specious charge made by the new atheists. But like, but like a lot of specious arguments, it does contain a molecule of truth. By the way, whenever you hear a bogus argument, always ask, what is the molecule of truth in it? Because if it had no truth whatsoever, no one would ever believe it. So what is the grain of truth? The grain of truth in the charge is this. The Islamic radicals do do what they do in the name of God. Read the Bin Laden videos. Read the Al-Qaeda literature. God told us to do this. The holy book instructed us to act in that way. So that's true. But... There is nothing equivalent on the Christian side. In other words, there's no Christian Al-Qaeda. 
There's no Christian Hamas or Hezbollah. There's no Christian country today run along the lines of, say, the Ayatollah Khomeini's Iran. You might have seen recently Christiane Amanpour did her special called God's Warriors on CNN. Right? What was the basic idea? That the, that the Abrahamic religions all lead to violence. One day she focused on Islamic extremism, one day Christian extremism, one day Jewish extremism. So the first day was Christian extre uh, Islamic extremism. Fine. 9-11, the Bali bombing, the London bombing, the Madrid bombing, and the list goes on. Now we turn to Christian extremism. Where is it? Here is Christiane Amanpour in the hills of Montana. She's standing outside a trailer on which a 75-year-old man sits on a rocking chair. He's the Christian bin Laden. He wants to blow up the world. True, the guy doesn't have a job, but he's hoping one day to, to, to do it. Be very afraid of this man. In other words, what I'm getting at here is that there is a bogus equivalence that is being made by the new atheists in comparing Islamic radicalism on the one side and Christianity on the other. But let's go further. I ask you this, why are the Israelis fighting the Palestinians? Are they fighting over religion? Think about it. I mean, are the Israelis saying, you know what, we think Moses was the greater prophet. The Palestinians go, no way, it was Muhammad, and they come to blows. Is that what that fight is about? No. They are actually fighting over land. The Hindus and the Muslims are fighting over Kashmir. Even in Northern Ireland, they're not fighting about the Eucharist or transubstantiation. They're fighting over which group of guys gets to rule that country. You know, there's a, there's a story about a guy who's walking in Belfast, and a man jumps behind him and puts a gun to his head and says, Catholic or Protestant? And the man says, um, well, actually, I'm an atheist. And the voice behind him says, Catholic atheist or Protestant atheist? <laughs> so, now, even if you go to, go to history, even if you look at history, it seems to me that the crimes of religion, and specifically Christianity, are vastly exaggerated, while the crimes of atheism are often minimized or downplayed. You know, I consider myself a reasonably well-educated guy. If someone were to say to me a few years ago, how many people were killed in the Salem witch trials? I would have said, I don't know, but it's, it's a big blot on the face of American history. We all read about it. I read Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, in college based on the Salem witch trials. I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands? How many people were killed in the Inquisition? Well, that was kind of a biggie. Lasted in, in Europe for centuries. Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions? Well, today, you can find out about this. There's a huge and reliable literature on these events. If you read uh, Henry Kamen's great book on the Inquisition, which is considered the authoritative study of it, you will discover that in the Spanish Inquisition, which was the worst, over 350 years, the number of people killed was, in fact, less than 2,000. 2,000 people over 350 years. I'm not a math major, but that works out to about six people a year. 
This is not a world historical crime by any standard. Well, consider the Salem witch trials. I don't know how many of you have been to Salem. You can go to Salem, Massachusetts. The witches are doing really well. Many of them are tourist guides. So if you, if you get their literature and you look at it, number of people killed in the Salem witch trials, you'll discover 19. 19. Now that's 19 too many, or 2019 too many. But look, come on, while these atheists are crying big crocodile tears over the crimes of Christianity, often committed 200 or 500 or 1,000 years ago in the case of the Crusades, they ignore the vastly greater crimes of atheist regimes committed not in ancient memory, but in our own lifetime, in the last century, and they're still going on. And people say to me, well, are you talking about Hitler or Stalin in Russia or Mao in China? Well, partly, yeah. Those are the sort of atheist big three. And those three regimes, interestingly, in the space of a mere five decades, killed in excess of 100 million people. And that's, that's only the top rung. We're not even counting the second tier of atheism. Consider a fellow like Pol Pot. Pol Pot ruled Indochina, and in the space of about three years, he killed about two million people. He doesn't even make it into the top ranks of, of, of the leading atheists. And we're not even counting Ceausescu, Enver Hoxha, Kim Jong-il, Fidel Castro, the list goes on. Atheism has produced a huge ocean of blood and a mountain of bodies. Now Richard Dawkins, in his book The God Delusion, he says, wait a minute, there's a crucial difference because the atheists, he says, the Christians killed in the name of Christianity. You might have had tyrants who happened to be atheists, but they didn't kill in the name of atheism. Now Dawkins is actually a renowned biologist, but this I think is the problem when you let a biologist leave the lab. Why? Because here is a guy with evidently no knowledge of history. All you have to do is crack open the Communist Manifesto or look at the actual behavior of every communist regime. You see that atheism isn't incidental, it's absolutely central. Marx calls religion the opium or the opiate of the people. And the whole idea of socialism and communism was to create a new man and a new utopia liberated from the shackles of traditional religion and traditional morality. So the bottom line... It is atheism and not religion that is responsible for the mass murders of history. And I want, if I may, to make a final thought or a final point. I want to look for a second at the motives behind the new atheism. Why? Because interestingly, very often if you talk to an atheist, you get the idea that their motives are unbelievably noble. You know, the philosopher Bertrand Russell, who wrote the book uh, decades ago called Why I Am Not a Christian, somebody asked him, they said, uh, what if you die and you wake up and you're in front of God? What would you say to him? And Russell said, I would say to him, sir, you failed to provide me with adequate evidence. So this is sort of the pompous pose of modern atheism, that the atheist is a man in search of data. The atheist doesn't believe in God because God simply hasn't, been, hasn't provided enough proof. If only the proof was there, the atheist would believe. Now, 
I want to suggest that this notion of modern atheism is a little bit of a pose. Let me tell you why. Because quite frankly, if you don't believe in something because there's not enough data, you just go about living your life as if that something did not exist. Case in point, I don't believe in unicorns. But you'll notice, I haven't written any books. Unicorns are not great. The unicorn delusion. The end of unicorns. Right? I just live my life. I just live my life as if there are no unicorns. But you notice, you notice with the atheists, they are on a kind of mission or campaign against Christianity. The atheist Christopher Hitchens, very interestingly, in one of his interviews, he says, I'm not an atheist. It's not that I don't believe in God. He says, I am an anti-theist. And here we get a little hint of how atheism is not just an intellectual rejection, it's a moral rejection of God. Let me leave you with this thought. I think as Christians we should be ready to counter the new atheism. We need to have good arguments. Scripture asks us to love God not only with our heart and with our soul, but also with our minds. I think if we do that, if we equip ourselves we might ultimately find the new atheism to be a blessing. And why? Because it challenges us as Christians to know not only what we believe, but why we believe it, and we can go out into the world unafraid and defend our beliefs, or as Scripture counsels us, give a reason for the hope that is within us. Thank you very much. Thank you.